All right, well, thank you for being here again this morning. And if you're visiting with us, we're so happy you're here. And we pray that um, you're comfortable. And we pray that you feel welcome. And we pray that you feel like this is important enough to be here, that you, you feel the presence of the Lord here. Because what's, nothing's more important than the presence of Jesus. I'll just tell you right now, that's what we want. And that's what we're asking for. If nothing else is good, I pray that is. We want to continue speaking this morning on the discussion we've been having the last couple of weeks on the priority of prayer based on the life of Moses as given to us in the book of Exodus. You're being, uh, there's a handout that's being passed out by my lovely assistants. And uh, I want to finish today. We, we spent last week, we talked about last week, we were going to get through three points, three reasons why Moses spent time in the personal tent of meeting, and we only got through two. So today we want to finish the third point and maybe a little bit more, I hope. Uh, the previous two reasons that Moses spent time in the little tent of meeting, which we're talking about Exodus chapter 33, if you haven't been here, Exodus chapter 33, and you can begin reading in verse 7, and that's where you're going to catch up on if you'd like to. Um, but there were two reasons we spoke about yesterday that Moses spent time in, the, in his personal prayer tent was, number one, because Moses knew that he was a pilgrim in this world. He was a pilgrim in the world. He wasn't a settler. He was on a journey. He was a pilgrim. He was a nomad. The second reason that we spoke about for Moses was that Moses realized or Moses had the heart of a shepherd. He had the heart of a shepherd. Taken together, we know that Moses knew that there was more in life than what he was experiencing and what he could see in this world with his eyes. There was more to this life than what he could see with his physical eyes. He knew that there was more to it and that it was worth pursuing. What he couldn't see was eternal, even though he didn't read it in the New Testament then, because that's what the Bible says, that the, what we see with our, own, with our eyes is temporary and what we don't see is eternal. Moses didn't read that, but he knew in his spirit, it was revealed knowledge to him that what he couldn't see was worth pursuing. So he pursued it with all that he had. He knew that it was worth giving up all that Egypt would offer, all the, the, the wealth and all the splendor that he had while he was a young boy and growing up in Egypt. He knew that what he had to do was worth more than what that could ever offer. And at the same time, he spent 40 years after that in a desert, and he also realized that what was ahead of him yet was so much more than what he would ever receive in the desert as well. Because he, in the desert, it wasn't necessarily the good things he experienced, but it was some bad things in life. He had to work hard in the desert to survive. He had to... I'm sure he suffered a little bit. I'm sure he was under some agony. I'm sure he was under some, some additional stress. And so it made it worthwhile for him knowing that he was a pilgrim and that he was a shepherd because he learned about being a shepherd while he was in a desert. And he knew that what was coming ahead was so much better that it was worthwhile to leave the grandeur and so much and it was worthwhile to deal with the suffering. Today, we want to talk about um, what it means to uh, be a leader what it means to be a leader in that day. And um, it's important that we understand that leadership is necessary to move us forward. But to be a leader, though, we have to learn a number of lessons. One of the lessons we learn as we're being a leader is how significantly important prayer is. 
how significantly important it is that we maintain a lifeline of prayer with the Lord. And it reminds me, um, when I look at this, a, a word picture came to my mind as I was studying this, and, and that of a, the relationship between a boat floating on top of the water and a deep-sea diver that is connected by an air hose. And we've all seen those divers, that they go down and they, they got leaded boots on and they got big helmets on, and they're not intended to swim, they're intended to walk on the bottom. And they have, the only way that they get air is through this hose that's connected to this boat. And the significance of that air hose is very important to that diver. Because if anything was to happen to that air hose, if it was to become disconnected or kinked in any way, the diver's in a world of hurt because he's in leaded boots with a big helmet on and he's not getting out of that situation very easily or very quickly, so he better grab a great big breath of air if he's going to make it to the top. In many ways, that's kind of the way we are with our relationship with the Lord in prayer. That air hose is our prayer line. We are walking this broken world down here with leaded boots on, (laughs) and we need to have that connection with that boat or God, our sustenance through this prayer hose that we must have. We must make sure it never is disconnected or ever kinked. If it's kinked in any way, shape, or form, then we have a problem. The problem is most of us walk around in life with a kinked air hose and we don't know that we're oxygen deprived. <laughs> we don't realize that we're not operating in the fullness of what we could be operating in because our mind is, is, is blurried because we're not able to have good oxygen levels because our prayer line's not connected right. This diver has all the freedom to move around the bottom of the, oak, of, of the lake or the ocean and he comes to the point where he might want to walk a little bit further and he, and he feels the constraint of his air hose. Well, what does a smart diver do? A smart diver walks back and makes sure, make sure he doesn't pull his air hose away. A smart diver knows that he must, he, he's got to do whatever he's got to do to protect that. But yet we as people... If, if we don't recognize the significance of keeping our life under the boundaries of living a holy life, keeping our prayer line open, pre- keeping it un- unkinked and connected, if we walk to the boundary of God's living, godliness, and we feel our, our airline getting a little bit stretched, it's smart of us to walk back. How many of us, however, continue to walk out and literally pull ourselves away from the presence of God? We pull ourselves out of, the, out of his airline and out of his prayer line. And so now we're over here totally on our own, gasping for breath because we haven't stayed connected in prayer. Really important that we grasp that concept. And when I can grasp it that way, I can see how it is important for me if I'm going to recognize my pilgrimage, pilgrimage as, a, as, a, as a voyager, as a journeyer, or myself as a shepherd, or myself as a leader, I must have the relationship with the Lord in place. Exodus chapter 33, verse 12. You can open your Bible. We're going to start off from here. You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find with favor with you. Remember that this, is, that this nation is your people. 
Moses understood that being a leader meant that it wasn't all about himself. Being a leader is not about me. It's not about you. It wasn't about Moses. He went before the Lord in prayer, not for his own selfish desires, but on, the behalf, of the, on behalf of the people that God gave him responsibility for. He knew that it wasn't his mission that he was on. This wasn't about what Moses' thoughts were. It wasn't his idea. He didn't own these people. These weren't his people. These were God's people. He was only their leader. He was only appointed by God to lead them. And he also understood that he could not do it alone. He had to be in connection with the Lord. He had to have this vital prayer line constantly connected. If he was going to be an effective leader, he had to make sure that he had relationship with the Lord at all times. And what I get out of this is that it's the same way with you and I today. I don't care who we're leading. I don't care if you're the pastor or if you're leading a men's group or if you're leading a women's group or if you're a father or a mother or leading a company or an employee of a company or a student. It doesn't make any difference. You're leading something. You're leading somebody. People are watching your life all the time. You are a leader. And if we're going to be effective, then we need to know that we need to be connected to God in a prayer language, in a prayer line, in a prayer connection all the time. And we can't let it get kinked or worse yet, disconnected. And I know this might sound like we're... Um, that we talk about prayer a lot and maybe we think we, we've got prayer figured out. So maybe some of us are tuning out here because we think, well, I know how to pray. I, I, I pray enough. Well, just follow with, work with me a little bit here. But it's, it's important that we have, to, that, that leadership in prayer knows that we must go to the source on a regular basis. I must be connected to the source before I can lead people. You know, you've, we've all been on airlines and the and we know what the, air, the stewardesses say. They say that if you're in a mid-air uh, problem and there's this air um, oxygen mass that comes from the, the ceiling down, it drops before you, what are you supposed to do with it? If you're sitting with a young person or an elderly person, who do you, who do you put it on first? Well, why? That seems selfish. Why wouldn't you put it on them first? Yeah, exactly. So you can help them. Because if I don't put the mask on myself first, that I can get air to make sure that I can do what I need to do, potentially both of us could die. Because if I was to put the mask on a child and the child, you know, is the hard time with it or they throw it away and, or what happens and I have a problem there, now I'm spending my energy trying to make that person safe and all the time I'm losing my life and in essence I'm also potentially losing their life because neither one of us might get the mask on. So they say, put the mask on yourself first, make sure you can get good, good fresh air, and then you help those that need to be helped. It's the same way with leadership. We have to have proper boundaries set up with the people that we're leading that we make sure that we're taking care of ourselves first. That's not selfish. What that means is you're going to the source of who you are. You're going to that source of provision first for yourself so that now you can properly lead others. You know, the old saying is, you can't, one can't give away what one doesn't have. You can't give something away if you don't already possess it. Leadership's the same way. Prayer's the same way. I can't be an effective leader in prayer if I'm not praying. If I'm not keeping my connection with the Lord solid and secure and consistent on a regular basis, then how in the world can I lead people? 
How in the world can you lead people if you're not doing what you need to do to make sure your life is sustained properly and you keep proper boundaries with people? We have to understand that one of the first most important things about, about our responsibility to lead is that we need to know who our source is. What are you leading from? What source of power are you leading from? I love it when it's said in this passage, it said that you have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. When the Lord told Moses, Moses, I know you by name, can you imagine the comfort that it gave Moses? Have you ever felt the Lord say, David, I know your name? Marlo, I know your name. When we have that assurance that the Lord knows our name and that we have found favor with him, it gives me the ability to walk confidently and with comfort and with peace and knowing that life's going to be good. Life's going to be good. And so we need to have that relationship with the Lord that he knows us by name. A leader teaches others to lead, and most of the time by example. Most of the time it's by example. We all heard it said, talk is cheap. Our leadership by our walking and our action and our consistency or our inconsistency is hugely important to our leadership ability. Leaders lead by example. Going back to Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. It's almost like that last verse was just kind of thrown in there for maybe just to finish the sentence. But I think there's very huge significance here. Do you remember Joshua later on in his life? Do you remember what he did, who Joshua was? Joshua was the next leader of Israel. Joshua became the next leader of Israel. Why? Because he followed a great leader's example Moses, by remaining at the tent and by wanting that, that presence of the Lord that Moses had, Joshua wanted it as well. He wasn't comfortable. He wasn't satisfied with his leader having it. He wanted his own presence. He wanted to be in the presence of the Lord just like Moses was. So it's no, it's no wonder then that when we look ahead in 40-some in, in years or so later that Joshua becomes the next leader of Israel. Let's talk about that in a few minutes. Turn in Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 23. The Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun, be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath, and I myself will be with you. Joshua was appointed and anointed by God to be the next leader of Israel. And he was prepared only after a lifetime of watching Moses be a leader, by watching Moses be attentive at the tent of meeting. And what's important here that we grasp as well, that it's, it's not enough just for him to have seen Moses do it. He needs to do it himself. He needs to do, he needs to put action to what he's seeing. He needs to be involved in that seeking God just like his leader was seeking God. He needs to be prepared because he not only did he witness Moses sacrificing in the times of prayer, because I'm sure not every time Moses went before the Lord, it was pleasant. I'm sure he worked at it. No, Joshua saw that. Not only that, but he 
desired to have that same face-to-face relationship with the Lord. That is what's preparing him. Let's look at how Joshua was called. Go back to Joshua. Turn to Joshua chapter 1. Let's understand the significance of what it means to be a leader and how he's called to be a leader. Leading, we're going to find out here, leading only comes after a person is, first of all, submissive and obedient to be taught. Leadership is based upon a person's willingness to submit and a person's willingness to be taught. Joshua chapter 1, starting at verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan, Jordan River into the land I'm about to give you to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Man, that's pretty confident talk. Isn't that pretty cool to to think that? God is saying that to Joshua. Then he says in verse 6, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to to give them. Verse 7, Be strong and very courageous. You know, he must have had some things going to come against him that the Lord wanted him to be strong and courageous in. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will, be, will go with you wherever you go. The most important thing for Joshua to learn was how to submit and how to be obedient to teaching. Becoming a leader doesn't mean that you can throw away what you've learned from the past and cut your own path. It doesn't mean that you can come up with your own ideas. It doesn't mean that now that I'm in charge, we're going to, new sheriff in town, we're going to do it a new way. A leader knows how to build on his past on what he's been taught. And he will move forward in that and he will, he will give credit to where credit's due to those that were before him. And if he, he will build on their foundation to go to the next level. And that's exactly what Joshua was told to do. Leadership isn't the, ability, isn't the ability to make up your own ideas. It's not given you to make up your own strategies. An effective leader that's godly understands submission to God and follows his directions. Follows his directions. You know, we have the Bible that's very, very good and very explicit at directions. Do we follow them? Do we really read the Bible and follow what the, what the Bible is telling us? Or do we try to make up our own sometimes because maybe we don't like what the Bible is telling us? You ever thought about that? Have you ever been in one of those passages? Have you ever been in prayer and the Lord dropped something on your heart? Yeah. It's not always comfortable, is it? But the true cry of a leader a true cry of a leader, it starts from the very beginning and goes through all his life, is what Joshua declared at the end of his leadership. Flip all the way back to the end of Joshua chapter 24. The true cry of a leader states his commitment to the Lord 
and his commitment to his confidence and what he's heard is true, and he's not going to back up on it. Joshua 24, beginning at verse 14, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped before the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But here's the question that comes to each one of us. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. What are the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living? But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's what a leader does that's in leadership is he declares for himself who he's going to serve and nothing is going to deter him. No matter what the people do, Joshua has led these people for 28 years. Some of them followed and some of them rebelled. And now he's given them one more chance. He says, fear the Lord, obey the Lord's commands. But if that's undesirable to you, it's not going to deter me. I'm going in. As for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. Are you that kind of a leader this morning? That you can lead with that kind of resolve in your, in your heart? That, you sure, that, you're that, firm, that you're that firm and committed to what you believe in and that the direction you're going is the right direction that you're going to say, I don't care what the public opinion is. I don't care what the world's doing. I don't care what the cool Christians are doing. No, I, I've, I'm focused in on Christ. I, I've been seeking His Word. I'm in His Word. And I am following God. And I don't care what anybody else is doing. But me and, me and my house, we're serving the Lord. And I'm going to go to the end serving the Lord. Amen? That's what we all need to be. That's, who, that's the kind of resolve that, leaderships, that leaders have when you're properly and effectively leading. Let's, change, let's turn the corner a little bit here. All right, we've been talking about leadership. Now I want to talk about what is our true purpose of prayer? Why do we pray? What is the purpose of prayer? As we are determining in our church to make prayer a direction that we're going to go in, not that we haven't in the past, but we're just reclaiming it today. We're, we're moving in a direction of prayer nights on Sunday night and Monday morning prayer, and I'm encouraging all of you to pray more in your little tent of prayer but I want to talk about the true motivations of prayer. What are we praying for? And, and what's the, really the purpose of prayer? And again, I think we can go to Moses. And I think he can give us a little bit of an understanding of, of why, what he was going after, what was his motivation of being in a, being in a prayer with the Lord, a prayer relationship with the Lord was. Go to Exodus chapter 31. 31, starting at verse 1. Verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and every other ites. <laughs> go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. I will not go with you. See, the people here have failed God numerous times because they've, if you read that, it says, because you're a stiff-necked generation. And if I go with you, I might kill you, is what God says. But he says, I will send an angel, and I will send an angel ahead of you to deliver you into all these towns and to conquer all these people. But I'm not going with you. Now, let's think about this for a minute. Their current condition is not good. The current condition of the Israelites, they're not in a good place. 
They're in the desert. There's nothing about what was going on for them was good or was the promises being delivered where they were currently at. There were no streams of rivers flowing. There were no green pastures. There were no hills. There, were no, there was no fertile soil. There were no pastures to graze their flocks. Their diet was the same old manna day after day. Every once in a while, God might give them some quail. But, may, but mainly it was very doldrum, very tiresome, very hard. Um, they were tired of traveling. And here God is offering a great solution. I will send an angel, and that angel will, will drive out all those people, and I will give you the land. But Moses, I'm not going with you. What would you do? What would your answer be to that one? God says, I'm giving you the blessing, or I'm giving you the presence of me. What would you choose? Would you choose the blessings of God? Or would you choose being in the presence of God? Exodus chapter 33, verse 15. Go down a few verses. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. In other words, Moses was saying, God, I want your presence more than your blessings. I want your presence, even in the hard place that I'm in, even in the stress and the strife and all of the, 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 the stuff, the hardship and the constant testing and the struggling with these people. Moses saying, no, God, I'm not going unless you're going with us. I'm not going to run ahead here. I don't want your blessings. I want more your presence. That speaks volumes to us today, or it should be speaking volumes to us today. Because so many times we want the blessings of life, but I'm not so sure we want the presence of God. Moses wasn't willing to trade the presence of God for the blessings of God. He wasn't willing to trade the, the, the presence of God for the blessings of God. Basically, Moses, Moses was saying that he would, he would choose to be in the presence of God even in the hard places, even in the adversities of life, even in the hardness of making a living in this world. Is it a good trade or a bad trade? What would you have done? What are you currently doing? What are we currently doing in our lives today? Are we running ahead with the blessings and then forgetting the presence? Or are we saying, God, I would rather have the presence over the blessings? Oh, man. It, made, it makes you stop and think. I hope it, I hope it really does. It made me stop and think significantly this week. James chapter 2, or James chapter 4, talks to us a little bit more about this. James chapter 4, starting at verse 2. He says, you desire, to, he, you desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask with God. You do not ask God. And when you ask... You do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So even when I come to asking God for the blessings of this life, what's my motivation? Am I seeking God for the right reasons? Am I seeking God because he's a gift giver? Or am I seeking God because he's the gift? How sad it is that so many Christians, so many so-called Christians, see God as the answer of prayers, which ultimately may further take them away from the kingdom of God. 
that we want God's blessings, and those blessings can sometimes, if we're not careful, can actually take us out of the presence of God. Verse 4 of James, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Strong language. Anyone that chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. I wonder if that's me sometimes. I wonder if I choose to be a friend of the world because I'm compromising in some of my godly convictions. Because maybe I'm not really reading God's Word and obeying God's Word. Maybe I'm seeing the trend of the popular Christian culture to say you can do this and you can go this way because maybe they're not reading God's Word and obeying God's Word either. So rather than me stand against that tide, I'll kind of flow with them because I don't want to be alone in that. What am I doing? I'm becoming a friend of the world. And a friend of the world is not a friend of God. We can't have it both ways here, folks. It doesn't mean you don't enjoy what God gives you. you don't, it doesn't mean that you have to go be grumpy. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when we start chasing the blessing over the presence, that's a good warning that we're becoming a friend of the world because we're more about the blessings than we are about the gift, giver. We're more about the blessings more than they are about the giver of the gift. If God answered my prayers the way I'm praying, think about this. If God answered my prayers the way I'm praying them, would my relationship with the world be better or my relationship with God be better? If if God answers the prayers the way I'm praying them right now, go back to the last few times you were with the presence of the Lord and you were asking God what you wanted. If God answered those prayers, would you be a friend of the world or would you be a friend of God? It helps us understand what our motive is. It helps us understand what are we really in this for? Are we in it to win it? Or are we in it to get comfortable in this world? The person that has their eyes set on this world and what this world can do for them would quickly accept the blessing of God because it would promise them more now in the moment than what they currently have. Even if the blessing would be temporary in nature, they would take the blessing over the presence. Because a person that's focused on this world says, God, what can I get here? I want that house. I want that job. I want that money. I want that comfort. I want that. I want this. I want that. Why? Because I can see it and I can grasp it, and I can easily grasp it as being important to me right now. And it's not to say those things aren't important. But a person that has their their eyes focused on heaven or or focused on Jesus or focused on the presence more than the blessing, they're saying, Lord, if that does anything to distract me, I don't want it. I don't want it. I want to be in your presence of God, and I want that more than the blessing of God. If I can grasp that, if I can get that into my heart, then I'm on the right road. And then I'm freeing God to really give you the desires of your heart. Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom and all his righteousness, and then he'll provide all your needs. But my focus has to be on Christ. My focus has to be on, on the promise, on the relationship, 
more than on the, the gift. It has to be on Jesus. Moses turned down God's offer. Think about this for a minute. Moses turned down God's offer. God's offer was to give him an angel to lead him and give him all of his needs met. And Moses said, no, thank you, God. How do you think that made God feel? How do you think it made God feel? I think it made God feel great. I think he said, Moses, I am so glad you chose me over the towns I was going to give you. I'm so glad you chose me over the blessings I was going to give you. Because now that you've chosen me, man, watch out, I can really bless you now. I can really bless you now, not only in this life, but the life to come. And that's the most important life anyways, is the one that's coming to come out of here. Moses was declaring two things when he turned down God's offer to deliver him. Number one, Moses declared to God that his presence meant more to him than anything else, anything that, that he could ever provide to him in this world, that God's presence meant more to him than anything God could provide or ever would provide to him in this world, even if God gave him the treasures of all things, even if we had the world and forfeited your soul, what does it gain, what does it gain a person? So that's one thing. God gave Moses his presence, and that was more meaningful than anything that God could provide. Number two, that he trusted God to one day fulfill every promise about his ultimate eternal plan. That we can trust God that one day all his promises are going to be fulfilled, and that provides eternity. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to, there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Do you believe that promise? Do you believe that Jesus is right now building your home? Amen. Does that, give me the, does that give you the desire to seek Him more as a result of that? To be in His presence more now so that I can enjoy that eternal home later, more so than enjoying my temporary home now? Not that it's not important. I'm not, I'm not de-stressing that. I'm just telling you where our focus needs to be. Our focus must be on the eternal home that God's building for me today. And if I can keep that promise in my mind, if I, can, if I can be more focused on what it really means to be in the presence of God and then allow His presence to shape me while I'm on this journey, I can be so much more productive in the kingdom. I can be so much more productive. So this morning, as we conclude this, I would just challenge us all to consider our priority on prayer and that I would really ask us, what are we doing are we praying? And if we're praying, why are we praying? Are we praying with the proper motives? Are we, are we praying with a proper perspective? Are we willing to be taught and be led in prayer? Are we submitting our lives to God? Are we truly submitting our lives to God? Are we truly willing to be instructed by God? Are we really doing and putting into action what we're learning on Sunday mornings and what we're praying on, on throughout the week and what we're reading in God's Word? Are we really putting it into action? I just wonder this morning um, how many of us, including myself, 
How many of us, we've been speaking now for the past two, three, four weeks on the tenth of meeting and in prayer. You don't have to raise your hands. But how many here this morning have established a tent of meeting? If we haven't established a tent of meeting, assuming that you hadn't already had one, if you already had one, I would pray that your commitment to that tent of meeting is more committed. But if we've been hearing the words of God for the past few weeks about the the intentional purpose and why it's so important that we develop this intentional tent of meeting strategy, if we haven't done it, why? And if you haven't done it, what are you telling God? If we haven't taken the time to, to develop this personal prayer time, are we telling God that he's not that important to us? Are we telling God that, God, I can do it on my own? I really don't need that. It's challenged me. It's challenging me every day. My job is to challenge you the way God's challenging me. I don't know what your prayer time's like. Maybe it's solid. Maybe you're already there. And amen. And I'll tell you what, it'll be evident. Eventually, it'll come to bear. It'll be evident in your life. So this morning, as we close this morning, I'm not even, we're not even going to play any music. We're just going to come to the Lord. And we're just going to have some quiet time for a minute. We're going to reflect on that. And we're just going to say, Father, help us. Help us, Lord, as we learn of you, as we know what it is like to be a pilgrim in this world, as we know what it is to have a shepherd's heart, as we know what it is to be a leader by first submitting and following. God, now can you help us with our motives in our prayer time? Can we truly be seeking you first over all things? Can we be seeking you in spite of all things. Lord, thank you for your willingness to bless us. Thank you for your willingness. But Lord, if the choice is to us, the presence or the blessing, Lord, help us all to be able to answer that question honestly. Help us all, Lord, to focus in on the presence of God as more important than the blessing of God. And I pray, Lord, that as we settle this in our heart, and as we come to our own determination that we'll be able to be like Joshua, and that we'll be able to say, as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord, that we will take that commitment, that strong commitment to put you first in all things, that we'll seek you first and all your righteousness. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.